Hey folks, this is Andy Sitto, and welcome to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. Wait, could we try that one more time? Hey folks, this is Andy Sitto, and welcome to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. What'd you think? Why did I introduce myself twice? Because I have a little bit of a dilemma that maybe you can help me out with. Maybe some of you music business nerds are listening to this, and you know what's what. So, the first theme song you heard is a very short snippet of my song Secret Rodeo that I put out with my band off uh, Reasons for Departure back in 2018. That has always been the theme song to this podcast. Um, however... Now that uh, an eight-minute segment of this show, a lot of these shows, not every episode, but a lot of these episodes um, get aired on 26 FM frequencies across Colorado as a part of uh, the Colorado playlist, um, something's been happening where it tracks the song. The the internet picks or the radio, the terrestrial radio picks up on it. They say, hey, that's Secret Rodeo by Andy Sitto, and they mark it down. So even though it's a 10-second clip... It gets recognized, and it counts as a play. Well, in my eight-minute segment that gets aired on these FM stations, I use three of my songs, one for the intro, one for the outro, and one to introduce the artist. And they're just five- to nine-second clips of each song. Well, what started happening was um, Colorado Playlist, Chris K was getting these emails that said, Hey, you're playing three Andy Sitto songs on your station, or he wasn't getting these emails, the FM stations were, and, and he was hearing about it. Hey, you're playing three Andy Sitto songs within 10 minutes on this FM station. What are you doing? So Chris came to me and he said, hey, let's switch that. Let's go ahead and write music that is just for your podcast. So I said, okay. And I quickly whipped up theme song number two, which is actually 30 seconds long. I have a slightly longer version than the one you just heard. Um, that's a you know a small clip, but I have a slightly longer version if I wanted to introduce the artist in the intro. Um, and then I have a couple little bumpers, too, that sort of go with the same vibe that I can use, little five-second things to, um, to introduce people. So anyway, I'm using theme song two for the eight-minute segment of this show that gets aired on FM stations. But I've been sticking with the old theme song for the full show. And what I want to know is what should I do? Should I switch the theme song altogether to this theme song B where it, there's it, there's no publishing, there's no, um, there's no PROs involved, it's not registered with anybody, it's just a song just for this podcast, or do I keep doing my thing with the old song? Are we sentimental? Do we need that old song? Anyway, music business people, shed some light. You know, hit me up at middleclassrockstartgmail.com or hit me up on one of the socials, Instagram, Andy Sitto Band, or Facebook, or, or whatever. Um, and let me know what to do. So I'm curious, genuinely curious, what the right thing to do is. Okay, there's a little rant on the potential new theme song. My guest today... Actually, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> Hold on. Humor me for another second. I'm going to introduce... The guest today, using theme song B again, but the slightly longer version. It's slightly longer so that I can introduce the guest in the song. Okay, humor me, folks. Do you like the old theme song? Do you want the new theme song? Or do you want the new theme song slightly longer? 
Hey folks, this is Andy Sido. Welcome back to another episode of Middle Class Rockstar. My guest today is Nashville-based music supervisor, Hannah Madison Taylor. In today's episode, we chat about blah, 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 and blah. Today's guest is Nashville-based music supervisor, Hannah Madison Taylor. We first met, I want to say back in 2013, at the Durango Songwriters Expo in Broomfield. In Broomfield, Colorado. It's no longer in Durango. It's right near my parents' house. Conveniently located. We met at the Expo, and I'm trying to remember the exact instance where we met, but we met at the Expo... um, or may, we may have even met at the California... No, it was it was the Broomfield Expo. She would remember for sure. But it was one of these... It was one of the first two expos I went to in, in uh, 2013. And if you're not familiar with the Durango Songwriters Expo, it's come up a few times on this podcast. It's this wonderful, wonderful gathering that happens a couple times a year in October and again at the end of February. And... It it caps at 200 people, and you come in with your music, and you go to three listening sessions where you get to play your song, you know, you and, you know, 12 to 20 other people. You each go up and you play your song for this list of industry professionals. It might be uh, music supervisors. It might be people, A&R people seeking talent. It might just be hit a hit songwriter who can help you make your song better, and they give you song critiques. And you do that three times, but it's much more than just that. There's open mics, there's showcases, and because it's so small, like I said, they cap it at 200 people. You get to know everybody, and it's the same people every time. I mean, there's there's new people coming too, but, you know, I haven't been in a couple years, and next time I go to one, I'm probably going to go in October. Um, next time I go to one, there's going to be a lot of friendly faces. And a lot of times you see people that are attendees at the conference a couple years later, that are industry professionals at the conference. Um, Richard Harris, who is one of the very first episodes of this show, I want to say episode three, but I could be wrong, is a hit song or singer-songwriter who's had some massive success um, in big hits as a songwriter. He started off as an attendee at the Durango Songwriters Expo, and now he's one of the industry professionals, and he's he's kind of that living proof that, hey, you can come through this expo, you can make these connections, you can be a part of our wonderful community and good things can happen. Um, so anyway, we met there and became friends, chatted, um, hung out. It was a great time. And then in 2014, I went through my first real relationship and my first real breakup. I was heartbroken and I need to get out of town. So I booked a couple shows out to California and back and decided to spend a couple days in LA. And I called up Hannah and I told her, what the deal was and what was going on. And she said, well, come stay here. Let's do a co-write. Let's write a song together. Let's hang out. Let's have a, you know, a good brunch in LA. You can see the, see the city. And I did. And she was a wonderful host. Um, and, and I'm very grateful for that. And that's the last time I spent any real amount of time in Los Angeles. Although um, that was all the time I needed to know I don't want to live there. But it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful place. Spent a, spent a couple random nights there. But in terms of an extended stay, that was it. We've stayed in touch through the years. Um, through her successes as a music supervisor and as an actress. She's done all kinds of things in the industry. And then uh, a couple years ago, she moved to Nashville. 
and is still is, is doing music supervision out there. And we recently reconnected because I went back to school and got a certificate in film uh, and television composition from Berkeley Online. And I went out last year to the in-person meet and greet, you know, Berkeley on site is what they call it. I actually just wanted to see a Red Sox Indians game, but I used the conference as an excuse to go out there. And I met this wonderful lady named Janelle and we became friends and she's uh, visited uh, me in Colorado on a couple occasions and she's still taking classes and HMT Hannah Madison Taylor was taking classes and they were classmates and my name came up in a conversation from Janelle and Hannah said, Oh my gosh, I know, I know Andy. So we reconnected after, I don't know when the last time we chatted was probably a couple years ago. We recently reconnected. We had a big, long zoom conversation a few weeks ago and just caught up and had a great time. And I said, you know what? We should have recorded this. This is what always happens. We should have recorded this. Let's, let's do a podcast interview. So we got together, um, we got together and did this. And I know a lot of this has been about me so far. My apologies. Um, Hannah grew up in Texas, uh, played the violin as a kid, was a very serious ballerina, grew up on a farm, um, and then sort of just through, she, she wanted to be a music supervisor for a long time um, and, and get into licensing, get into the industry, but has gone through this incredible journey um, through songwriting and acting, all kinds of, all kinds of, um, ins and outs. I don't want to actually say too much because she sort of just tells her story, um, you know, for about an hour and it's fascinating. It's a great story. You're going to love it. Um, and, and it's sort of something she said that really hit me was you, she's somebody who has a target. She has a goal. She has something she's always working towards. And I, I'm the same way. There's a definite, um, destination. Hey, I want to be selling out 500 cap clubs across the country. What do I need to do to get there? And she's very much that way. And she said, but all these things that happened along the way, the journey has been so special. I don't remember exactly how she worded it, but you'll hear in a few minutes. And that really hit me. One of the things uh, she did was she became an actress by chance. She moved to LA to become a music supervisor. A lot of people moved to LA to become uh, an actress, but she accidentally, she calls herself an accidental actress, um, and worked on tons of films, including, uh, she was in Pitch Perfect, and she was also a hand double for Kelly Clarkson. I think Hannah said she was pregnant and her hands were bloated or something. So Hannah came in for a Nokia commercial and, uh, and she was, her hands played Kelly Clarkson's hands. I mean, that's pretty cool. <laughs> Anyhow, she's gone through this incredible journey, and we really just talk about her story, which I said is fascinating, and I ask some questions, too, um, for the musicians listening that she provides some great insight on, and then at the end of the episode, she goes, well, is there anything else you want to know about, um, you know, post-production or copyright law or sound design or anything like that, and I said, well, yeah, but we've been talking for a long time, so... We're going to do another episode. She's already agreed to it. We're going to do another episode, and it's just going to be a Q&A. So listen to this episode. Think about what um, you might want to ask. If you're, a music, if you're a musician, you probably have a couple great business questions 
um, about licensing or publishing or law that she can help out with. And if you're a casual listener, um, you're going to have some questions about her life too. I guarantee it. It's just an interesting story. Last thing before we jump in, because a lot of our listeners are not musicians, I do want to define a couple of words before we jump in, just so that everybody's included and everybody follows along well. So some words that get said a lot that I should define for you prior to the episode. Number one, music supervision. So in short, a music supervisor is someone who oversees all music-related aspects, all music-related things about a film or a television show or a video game or a commercial. So for instance, if we were going to make a short film together called The Middle Class Rockstar, and I was the director, I might hire HMT and say, hey, I need some help um, <laughs> with all music-related things. So it would start off with me saying, hey, I love Wildflowers by Tom Petty, and I really want this in my movie. I'm the director. But I only have a $500 budget for the song. Well, Hannah says, okay, Andy, um, you're not going to get a Tom Petty song for your film for $500, but... I'm going to go out and find you um, a, a smaller indie artist who has a song that sounds sort of similar, and it'll even be about flowers. How's that? Great. I love it. So she'll go get that song, bring it back to me. I like it. She'll get it approved, approved by the songwriter, approved by the publisher. She'll negotiate um, how the monies work with that. Then she might even help uh, hire a composer who... I, who we have like just write custom music for our short film. Um, she might, uh, she might do some post-production. She might do all kinds of different things. Um, so in short, a music supervisor is just involved with all of the music aspects of a movie or a, or a TV show or whatever. So if you, you go to the, the movie theater and you see a movie at the AMC, um, you know, somebody like Hannah or Hannah did that. She she got all that music together and um, and helped out with the contracts with everybody and got everything squared away. Okay, music supervisor. I guess that's the big one. And I've been talking for 15 minutes. It's my longest episode ever. So I'm not going to define anything else. But if you know music supervisor, it's going to help you out a lot for the next hour. Let's jump in to my conversation with Hannah Madison Taylor. Quick thanks to our sponsors. First, PQ Mastering. Patrick at PQ Mastering puts the finishing touches on this podcast. And for any of your audio or restoration needs, go to pqmastering.com. Also, thanks to Narrator Music. For simple and affordable licensing for sync, go to narratorrf.com. Greetings. Greetings. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, just sitting at home with Maggie here and, and, uh, and doing the thing, talking to you. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's, it's you know, it's, a, it's an ugly day here in, in Nashville. <laughs> it's chilly, right? It's chilly. We're expecting, supposedly, I put air quotes here, uh, we're supposedly going to get snow. Um, just who knows? In Nashville? <laughs> in Nashville, yeah. 
Yeah. Which is, which is like, you know, but it kind of like snows when I first moved to Nashville, you know, I moved from LA and before that, like I'm from Texas. So, um, and a part of Texas that stays like warm. Um, so I had no real reference for cold weather and it snowed, um, and ice and like Nashville was shut down for like three days. It was like the coldest, wettest winter that they had had in, you know, like a decade or more. And every time people, I would go into like, you know, work at a label or publisher with their artists, they would come in and, and I would, A&R would be like, Hannah, how are you liking Nashville? And I'd be like, oh, I like it. And they'd like, be like, we're so sorry. And like everybody kept apologizing to me. Yeah. <laughs> now I like it though. Like, cause you know, you live in Colorado, you know, snow is like, it's, it's nice to have the seasons actually. It's nice to have the seasons. Are you liking it out there so far? Are you, are you happy to be where you're at? I love it. I mean, it's, it's very different than LA. Um, but um, it's, you know, Nashville's kind of developing, I'd say into like a third coast. Yeah. Um, and it's just, yeah. I mean, incredibly talented people and a real sense of community. So can't beat that. Well, everybody in the industry, you know, whenever you go to that conference or whatever, everyone says you need to be in Nashville or LA if you're serious about your music career. Maybe that's true. Shame on me, but you've been to both. So compare and contrast. What, what'd you like best? What did you like about the places? what did you dislike about the places? Oh gosh. What do I love about the places? Um, I love the weather. Let's start, like start with the most common, um, but important factor. The weather is great in both places. Um, I mean, LA, it's like paradise, right? It's like a vacation spot, right. <laughs> 365 days a year. Um, but, you know, Nashville, you have like four seasons. So, um, gosh, that's great. Uh, the people are great. The cute, like huge differences. Um, like I said, Nashville is more of a community Um and not to speak disparagingly of LA and the wonderful people <laughs> that I love and work with there, but um, it's a little more, I think it's like circles of people that you work with and it's very sort of like dispersed and, um, you know, where Nashville, it's like, you it's a real sense of community um, that I didn't experience on the same level uh, in Los Angeles. Um, yeah different, less traffic time, although more now in Nashville than when I moved here, because everybody's moving. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I think it's, you know, it's a different, different vibe. Nashville's kind of like, I think, um, you know, it's not just country music. There's lots of pop and folk and um, film tapes. Like there's just such a variety in Nashville. Um, I would say that in Nashville, you have the quintessential uh, songwriters, you know, that it's like, it's just super cool. And, um, I mean, you know, LA, I have to say, like, I would have, I would go into writing sessions or write working on a project and people are chill and they're laid back. Right. But you're like getting in to do a job so you can get out. So you can go to the next thing. And like, did you, you know, make yeah. it something epic. And Nashville, they have, you know, everybody writes, you go in a session, like it's hardcore. Um, like some of the guys that I've, uh, and women that I've worked with are just like, you know, <laughs> award-winning, incredible people 
but their vibe in the session is just totally different. It's like they'll chat like you and I are chatting. Yeah. Um, like, how are your kids? How is your dog? Like, you know, oh, I tried this place, this restaurant that has just opened up and like, oh, it's good. Oh, it's not. Oh, you know what? My mom used to make this kind of recipe. I'm like, at the end of it, and then you get to like what you're writing about and then like you'll have conversations, right? Yeah. Only to like, at the end of it, you might be in a session for like five, six hours, you know, if that's your only right for the day. And then at the end of it though, you have this amazing song. Yeah. But it's like, people are, it's just a totally different, different vibe. It was a welcome vibe for me. So. So if you were going into your first ever co-write, you know, say you're 19 years old, would you want that person to be able to do it in Nashville as opposed to LA? Oh man, that's a good question. I, no, not necessarily. I, I really think it depends on the writer um, and the person. I do. I do think like if you're easing into it, yeah, Nashville for sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, people were a little, you know, they're a little more like take you under their wing. And again, like it's just a different arena. It's not a right or wrong. It's just like an entirely, you know, different arena. Um, of people, the way that they write, the way that they view life, the way that they live, how people relate is entirely different. Um, yeah, so maybe, maybe Nashville. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and now you're not from either place originally. Mm-mm. You grew up nowhere uh, in a place nowhere like either of, the, either of these places. You grew up in a Mm-mm. farm in Texas. What was your childhood like? Oh my gosh. Um, I, idyllic I think really it was um yeah I'm from a tiny town in east Texas um so for anyone that's listening that knows about Texas um it's an hour and a half between um Dallas and Shreveport um or as so famously quoted by Matthew McConaughey behind the the pine curtain um (laughs) yeah so there's like a church on every corner and people talk like this a lot. Um, (laughs) And it was really lovely. It was really lovely. Uh, You know, they called it a city, but it was really uh, a large town. Um, And I think now they have three Starbucks here and that's a big deal. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so, so I, and I still have, you know, family and friends back there, but um, yeah, it was very um, like very laid back you know yeah um like you would imagine growing up on a farm <laughs> right so, yeah and how did how did music play in for you as a kid was it always around the house um you know what how did that enter into your life um well my I come from family on both sides my mom and dad's family that are musical um and um but my dad's family, especially my, uh, a lot of them are strings players and strings players are pianists. <laughs> um, and so, uh, you know, there was always music around and my, um, great uncle was my great grandfather toured, um, and played like Car- Carnegie hall and lots of stuff like that. Then wow. he married my great grandmother, um, and like lived in Texas. Um, but my family always played in like orchestras and stuff like that. So, um, 
yeah, that's how, I guess music was always around the house. And I always, you know, when you grow up in a musical household, you can't help but sort of gravitate towards that. I loved strings. um, And so I think from like the cradle up, I wanted to play violin and um, finally started, they let me play when I was seven. Um, Before that I played piano. Okay. (laughs) And I did not have a great teacher like you. Um, I had a really like, gonna use a Southernism here, bless her heart. She was not (laughs) a very nice, she did not like to teach children. And I actually liked to practice and everything. So she was super mean. And I think like, it kind of like soured me on piano. Right. (laughs) Like, like I had a little bit of PTSD with that. And as soon as I could play strings, it was like, oh, this makes sense. And I think innately every stringed instrument I've ever picked up, I could immediately like find my way around where piano, unlike, unlike yourself, I, uh, I struggle. <laughs> you know, that's funny. I'm totally opposite. And I feel like most people are that way where the piano, since it's like all out in front of you. Yeah. A certain way. But that's interesting that your brain was totally the opposite. Like I want it. I see it like this better. Yeah. It's, you know, when I went to, so I, I mean, my, I'm glad I had the foundation with theory. I, I really do think everyone should, should take piano first yeah. um, or have theory because it kind of, helps you to visualize regardless of your instrument. Like here are the keys. Here's like a third, here's what a fourth looks like and so on, like all of the intervals and everything. Um, but yeah, for me, like it was very strange. And I, when I went to college, I had to take piano. It was required. And I like, I begged them like, please, <laughs> you don't know what you're asking uh, of me. Yeah. And I did really well, but I remember playing like for, you know, like that you have like um, our whole class had to play like uh, and listen, like for, you know, like a sort of like a recital with the whole class. And I had to play Moonlight Sonata and I worked for weeks, Andy. And then I played and afterwards the professor came up behind me and he was like, that was so beautiful. But now that I see your hands, they look like a, a freaking train wreck. (laughs) and I thought like and I was like well good thing I have no intention of you know being a concert pianist so but yeah you know that's one thing about that is one downside to these zoom lessons yeah (laughs) doing is maybe I can hear it just fine but sometimes I'm like you know it'd be really helpful if somebody could reach and grab your hand and do something with it and like say like yeah this is not the way it looks I I think like it's years of strings playing you know it's an entirely different position um you know with violin and then and then guitar and um yeah I I do some things that like it all sounds good and you know when you're engineering you can make anything yeah (laughs) I'm an idiot so I can make it sound really good but in actuality like it, it looks really bad. It looks painful when I play. <laughs> you know? I it's hard. It's hard to get it to, to sound good, to look good. Whatever. But the MIDI strings these days, as you were just saying, oh, my gosh, they're incredible. Are they not? Like, they sound so real. 
Um, you know, and if you, I mean, I say that it depends on the plugin. Um, but it, like if you paint anything, I say, if you paint anything with just a little smidge of distortion, yeah, it's believable. <laughs> I'm going to, I'm going to take that next time. And, uh, and <laughs> it's, it really does work with strings. It works. It really does. So. So at what point then did you decide that you were going to leave Texas? Because you went to uh, Texas Women's University, right? And then ended up and ended up at Berkeley? No, I didn't go to Berkeley till um, later. I went okay, to, okay. Um, gosh, okay, short, short story. Uh, I, so I danced. I was a, like pre-professionally um, and, and simultaneously like played music and, and did that. But I thought like... Um, I had a, a pretty extensive dance career and I graduated high school, like when I was 16 <laughs> and I was like, I'm going to move to New York and then I'm going to go to Royal ballet and I'm going to live in London. And this is like my life. This yeah. was so different from the person I'm that is speaking to you now. And, um, my parents were like, you cannot move to London at 16 years old. Like, yeah. but no. that was what you wanted to do. You wanted to be, that's, that was it. That was, that was it. And I was like, and I'll just continue to like play stuff, you know, play music. And maybe like, I would like to do music for film and television. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to be, you know, like, um, like, a, I was like, whoever puts the music in films and TV shows and like creates, like, I want to do all of it. Um, but first I want to be a prima ballerina and dance with the Royal Ballet. <laughs> Um, so I graduated and I, my parents were like, you have to go to a year of college, just go to like a little college, like, please Hannah. And so, um, like I went and I auditioned for, you know, scholarships and, um, I auditioned for a dance scholarship and the lady over the audition was a choreographer that I'd worked with from Royal Ballet. And she was like, you were the best in the audition. And I literally thought I was going to, uh, like, this is the moment she's telling me I got the scholarship. Yeah. And she's like, but I'm not going to give you the scholarship. I know. And what? I, my, my face just sunk. And I was like, why would you say that to me? You know, like I'm in high school, like still high school age. And she said, um, I, I heard you playing in one of the warm-up rooms, like when you were supposed to be stretching. And I was like, cause I had been teaching myself like guitar and, yeah. um, and I would make up like these songs or whatever, but I was really like, I'm an extroverted introvert. So like, I would not sing in front of people <laughs> or anything like that. Um, and she was like, and I, I'm an atheist. And I was like, what does this have to do with me not getting a dance scholarship? <laughs> She said, I'm an atheist. I don't even believe, but I actually believe God in this moment is telling me to tell you, you're supposed to do music and wow. for like the rest of your life. And I looked at her and right, this should have been like this transcendent, like movie moment where it's like light is falling from the sky and like a choir is singing. But instead I'm looking at her and like, I almost start crying. And I was like, you're wrong. <laughs> you're totally wrong. <laughs> Whatever you think you're hearing is wrong. I want to yeah. be a ballet dancer. Like, this is what I want to do. And, um, I went home. I was like devastated crying, like 
how can I be the best? And like, what does this even mean? And, um, and I was like, nobody makes money doing music for a living. Like, this is my thinking. Cause you know, you're going to be really rich if you're a prima ballerina. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so I go home and my, um, mom is like, well, don't worry. Um, you know, you can you still tell to your mom. Did you tell your mom exactly what she told you and how did yeah. she react to it? I mean, was she like, how, how dare this lady tell you that? Or my mom, my mom always like believed that I would end up doing what I'm kind of doing now. Um, even though like I was a really talented ballerina, she like, she just knew that. And I think like, she knew that really like I wanted to do this. Right. But I was kind yeah. of like afraid and it was like almost like being a ballerina was the safe thing, even though it's like it's a hard it's a hard career. Yeah. And so um, my mom goes, I'm so sorry. Like my mom was so calm about it. Now, it's such a good question because she did. She was like, I'm so sorry, um, you know, that you're depressed and sad about this. But this just means that there's something better for you. And like I was like. I felt like I was actually angry at my mom. I remember like vividly yeah the next day she's like I enrolled you um in a voice class and classical guitar and I was like why did you do that without my consent I am a teenager like, you know? yeah I am almost an adult <laughs> I am almost an adult you have to ask for my consent and so I go to the class and honestly the very first class I had I'd never had formal vocal training nothing and I was terrible um, like, cause I didn't know how to breathe or, or anything like that. And, um, I, I never like, I'm not an easy, I don't cry easily, but I actually like, you know, when you're so embarrassed and frustrated that you want to cry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I, like, I actually like started, my cheeks started flushing. I thought I'm going to start crying. And the teacher looks up at me and she says, are you about to cry? And I said, Yes, but I don't want to. I'm not a crier. And she's like, why would you cry? I was like, because I suck. I, like, I literally said that. And I said, and I don't even say suck. I don't even say this to people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I suck. And, um, you know, like, I'm supposed to be a ballerina. My mom enrolled me in this. And this, this, this is what this, you know, choreographer said. And, and I just feel like my life is upside down. You know, I'm almost because 18. <laughs> Huh? You told the teacher all of this. Yes, I did. Because, you know, wow. when you're a teenager, sometimes you just. <laughs> yeah, there's no option. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 um, I told her that. And then um, she looks up at me and she said, well, I agree with the choreographer. You're unbelievably talented. I know that you don't know anything right now, but you will, you're supposed to do this for the rest of your life, Hannah. And she's like, I'm going to help you to get scholarships. And then the guitar teacher did the same thing. And that is what set me on my path. So I went to school. I um, then transferred from this little college to Texas Women's University and decided like I was going to double major in English and music. Um, and I worked at this, like everybody, you know, like you have a job. I worked at a studio at the front desk. I uh, like answering phones and booking people. And the manager walked up one day. He said, um, I 
we a uh, commercial has come in for like a commercial brief from an ad agency here um, in you know the DFW area, and they need it for um, a lullaby for a hospital. And I said, okay, who do you want me to call to book? And he said, I want you to do it. I've heard you practicing before. Like, I think you could totally write this and get this commercial. And I looked at him and I said, really? <laughs> yeah. And I said, okay, well, how do I get the music to them? And he's like, well, you have to play it live of guitar vocal. Like that's what this executive producer at the ad agency is asking for. Um, and I said, he's like, do you want to do it? And I literally thought like, you know, I had no experience and I thought, but if it's terrible and I don't get it, I still have this job. Yeah. It's, it's okay. Like, I, you know, there's no harm, no foul. And I had an hour and a half. I went home. I wrote it without any perspective on a lullaby. Um, so I wrote it about our family dog, which was a teacup poodle. Um, cause that's, <laughs> that's true love. Dogs are true love. And I had no experience being a mom, but I, I thought I love my dog as much as if it was my child. Yeah. So I wrote the song. I showed up. I was super nervous. I mean, I played the song like with my eyes shut, like, <laughs> like thinking, you know, whatever. Um, and I got the commercial and it propelled me into this whole arena. I paid for part of my school and I thought like I was going to get paid like $500, but it was a seven year option. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for the song. Yeah. And, um, and I helped, you know, in the production of it as well. Cause I studied audio engineering in school, like live sound engineering. And, um, so it was super cool. I, you know, the manager of the studio started introducing me to, they would host songwriting, um, workshops at the studio and all these huge songwriters would come in and, he started introducing me and then they would pull me into sessions and some of them became like mentors to me. And, um, one of them lived in, uh, she lived in LA and, uh, she was like, you should really start doing session work out of LA. And, um, so I would fly to LA, you know, like while I was in school yeah. and then, um, you know, I decided I was like, I think I really want to do like, music and film and TV and like maybe music supervision yeah, and make like still write music, but um, that's kind of what I want to do. And through a, a lot of different events, I ended up um, getting a, like a paid internship with a music supervisor um, and composer. And that's when I moved out to LA. Um, and then that job fell through, <laughs> but that's how I ended up uh, in LA at the, and made that move from, from Texas. It's a weird story. <laughs> yeah. If it, to a quick recap, you have an atheist that declares from God, what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Right. Then you're in a class <laughs> doing music and the teachers are like, yeah, no, like we, yeah, you're, you're going to do this. This is cool. Yeah. And then you get a commercial that's not a $500 commercial. No. And then you get an internship and you're on your way to the big city. Yeah. 
Yeah. Which, I mean, there were a lot of like, that's like a nice highlight, highlight reel there, Andy, but it, there were a lot of like, you know, as all people experience, like there's a lot of bumps and, and dark stuff in between that. But um, yeah, I, I moved to LA. I lived on, um, it's really hard, you know, to find housing in LA. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and I, I knew three people. Um, and so I, for like about three weeks, I guess, or a month, I, uh, my, I lived, uh, in a two bedroom, two bathroom loft with five other girls and my bed was the couch. And, um, so two days after I moved to LA, um, the guy that I'm supposed to work with is like, let's meet for coffee. And then he's like, Hannah, we're not going to be starting work for like a month. So this is good though. You just get used to LA and welcome and all this kind of stuff. And I was like trying to be chill, but in my mind, I'm thinking I only have a few like paid vocal sessions that I'm supposed to do. And I had no backup job because. Right. You You have a month till your internship starts and you have to hit the ground running, making money in a place like LA. And I, and I want to say too, really quick, speaking of you living on a couch, the last time I spent any amount of time in LA, I slept on your couch. So thank you so much for that. <laughs> You're the best couch guest ever. <laughs> thank you. I don't think I've ever seen like meter folded, like, you know, blanket pillow, like the whole nine yards. I've got it figured out now. I've slept on enough people's couches. You know, I, I don't, I don't leave a crumb when I get out. (laughs) You don't. My roommate was like, she walked in and she was like, she like walks into my room and it's like, like she, cause she worked at a, she was a bartender and she like walked in and she's like, Hannah, are you awake? And I was like, what? It's like 1am. No, I'm not. (laughs) Yeah. And she's like, there was a man sleeping on our couch. I was like, oh, that's Andy. Oh my gosh. I was like, I was like, I texted you. Didn't she read it? She's like, no. And I was like, well, Andy is my friend and co-writer. And and like, you know, he's, he's crashing on the couch. Um, and like the next I'm glad she asked you about it first before she came in, you know, maced me or something. And she's been known, I think to, you know, that she, uh, I don't, I don't know if she's maced people, but I, 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 she has in the past, so I'm not sure, but she was asleep. And then by the time you left the next day, cause I think we like went and got bagels or something, maybe we um, we got bagels. And we were listening to Paolo Nutini's new record at the time. That's what I remember about that. Right. I took you, I think I took you to maybe like not Frobisher's. I took you to, um, oh gosh, just right around the corner, a really great, uh, breakfast place. I'm blanking on the name. It begins I with an L. It. I remember where we sat, but I, yeah. I don't remember that. I, I want to say, and I don't know if it's still there, like Literati or something is the name of it. Because I was like, oh, let's go to Frobisher's. And then it was like, I looked and it was like Frobisher's was like packed. And I was like, eh, this has got like better, like full breakfast anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was. Yeah, good. that's right. Paolo Nutini. Um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I slept on the couch, which is why I always offer my couch to well, to people that I know that are my friends. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. Um, not random strangers. But uh, yeah, I slept on the couch. And so I go, I go, I leave the meeting. I go to the beach. Um, and I'm trying to be like chill, but I'm thinking like, I want to cry and I need to like 
cry privately. So where do you cry privately in a crowded city? You go to the beach. And it was a really ugly day, much like today, overcast. And um, I like sat on the beach thinking I made a huge mistake. <laughs> like I know no one. What was I thinking? I should have like looked at going to Nashville. This is literally like all in my mind. And prior to moving, it had been a really like kind of crazy year for me. And I look up at the sky and like, there's no one around. And I was like, I could use a break, like crying, very dramatic, extremely all the drama. Um, And I look out and I'm like, then I start crying because I see there's like the waves are really choppy and it looked almost like it was going to rain. And there was just this lone surfer. And then like, as if I needed to nosedive even further into my drama, I'm like, I am the man on the surfboard in the choppy waters all by myself in a way. (laughs) And so I had like, I think like a pretty good, like cry for like five or 10 minutes, but then like, like I was like, okay, like this feels horrible to feel horrible. Yeah. And like, who do I know? Who can I reach out to? So I texted a friend who was uh, a screenwriter and producer for TV shows. And she was working on a new show and I texted her and like actually gave her the briefer synopsis of what I just told you. Like also I think, and I tell her like her name is Nancy Lee Myatt. And I said, also Nancy Lee, I think I've made a huge mistake with my life. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Here I am. Here I am out on the beach crying by myself, but I don't want to feel totally crappy could I be a writer's assistant? Is there a position open? Like I'll be the coffee girl. I'll go do whatever. Like, and so she replies back. She's like, you didn't make a huge mistake. Send me your resume. Send me two photos. I did 45 minutes later, I get a call and I think it's her from her office. Like, you know, I had these visions of grandeur of like what writer's rooms look like. And I'm thinking like, she's calling me from the phone on the Warner brothers lot. (laughs) Like I'm going to go get coffee for her and run into Ellen. And instead the call was a casting director and the casting director um, ended up giving me this uh, opportunity to, to, for a role like that had one line. Um, that my friend had said I could do. And I said, Oh, I'm not an actress. I want to be in music supervision and music and film and television. And I just, I don't want to lie to you, ma'am. And she's like, please don't call me, ma'am. I get you're from the South. Don't ma'am me. And I was like, I'm so sorry, ma'am. I mean, I'm so sorry. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So you went to LA. This is funny to me. And I remember you, you gave me a brief version of this story a few years ago too. Um, And I, I thought it was funny because so many people go to LA to become a famous actor or actress. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm going, I'm going to LA. I'm going to, I'm going to make it big. Yeah. And or at least that's what we hear about it um, in the movies. I don't know what yeah. happens there, but you went to do sync, to do licensing, to do supervision, to get into the, that industry. And you ended up with an act with an acting job right away. Yeah. Which for which I had no desire. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. And I actually, I remember thinking, like, I just told her, I said, yeah, like, you know, she's like, here's what it pays. And you're going to work for like a couple of days, maybe longer. And I needed a job. So I thought, oh, 
okay, well then maybe. And I said, well, and if you need me to be the coffee girl afterwards, I can do that too. Um, and yeah, it ended up leading the, sh- it was for a pilot with Cedric, the entertainer. Um, and that job ended up just like kind of going from one job to the next where people were recommending me for these like little bit parts. Um, and I ended up acting for like a year and a half, uh, almost two years, just steady work, um, doing all of these like random things. Um, and I remember thinking like, what a screw up I was. <laughs> and I say that cause like a lot of people would hear that and think like, Oh, what a charmed life. But you're a very like goal driven person. So you, you get this. Like, I was like, this is my trajectory. This is what I want to do. I'm aiming for the target and I've got to hit it. Yeah. And, um, so I just thought like, I'm making money and I'm meeting all these people and learning all this stuff, but like, I'm actually very far off my life course and path as I think, according to Hannah, it should go. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, yeah. So, and only years, you know, later did I realize that all of these super cool projects and people I worked with, um, was really like training ground for what I wanted to do in supervision and licensing and even, you know, writing and creating music for film and TV. Like there's nothing like being on the ground and being on a set or in a scene um, or with the cinematographer and director and understanding what a scene should feel like and what those emotions should sound like. And um, yeah, but yeah, but for like a couple of years, I was like, I'm making money and I'm a total screw up and no one will ever take me seriously. (laughs) So were you, number one, were you making at least enough money to be living somewhat comfortably in LA? And number two, if listeners wanted to go see you on the big screen, is there any scenes in movies that you'd say, go check that one out? Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was making a lot, you know, a comfortable um, amount of money. Let me put it that way. Yeah. Um, and because I also did, I did, cause I had a dance background. So people were like, she can do, you can do stunts. Um, so like I actually, <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I, did like, <laughs> I did like stunts and stand in work because like, I just, I never have said no to any job. And I have to say like, if listeners are listening, that's what I would say um, to good jobs. Like if somebody says, we'd like to hire you to be a prostitute, please say no. Um, or drug dealer. Yeah. These are bad things, yeah. but um, good work and opportunities. I never said no. So that's how I ended up just constantly getting onto projects that I'd be like, what am I even like doing? So yeah, I made it a very, you know, a, a, was living comfortably in LA um, because I just worked all the time, you know, and I didn't have a, like a life uh, for a couple of years. That was my life, you know? So yeah. like, I didn't have a, a social life outside of the people that I worked with on sets and, and on projects. Um, but then gosh, most famous, uh, gosh, I was in like oh, horror films. I was in man, um, things that I'm not going to point people to <laughs> <laughs> like a movie with like a demon leprechaun that comes back on St. Patrick's day. 
Um, gentlemen, if you know how to work IMDb, you can figure this all out on your own. <laughs> best, best film uh, was Pitch Perfect. It was Pitch Perfect. And, um, and that was a really lovely experience. So, uh, yeah. That's so cool. That, that must be like you were talking about taking, taking any good opportunities you're given. How cool is that that you're, you're now doing something else? You're doing kind of what you've been striving to do. But if you look back at the journey it's never in a million years the journey you would have written for yourself as a teenager mm -hmm. but what you've ended up doing that's got to be really cool to go back and and think about all that stuff because you did a lot of cool things uh, on the journey yeah yeah it's not the journey that I ever imagined like anybody I think right we never really know how we're getting from point a to point b um it's a very cool thing to look back. I look back, I laugh because like every job I worked and I mean, like I sounded like a broken record. Um, I would say, um, yeah, sure. I'll do this. Do you have a music supervisor or sound design team? Like I really, this is what I really want to do. And I remember like directors looking at me and going, why? <laughs> like, yeah. You're you know, on this side of it now. Yeah. And I'm in a different side of it now. And it's like, and I, um, I shot like on a lot of pilots cause you know, and a lot of pilots, I don't think people realize like you're funded, they film it, you do, you get paid and then it doesn't air. Um, or it's like, or they like put it on a shelf and like, there's no like release date. Um, yeah. kind of like if you write a record, um, and a label's like, we're not ever releasing this. Yeah. <laughs> like, All right. Um, but it was, yeah, it looked like I look back and really you know, I couldn't have, and I am a huge proponent of, of education and educating yourself throughout your life, always adding to those skill sets, but I really couldn't have learned the things that I needed to learn. And like, when I went back to Berkeley, it was like, I remember sitting in classes and thinking like, I know this, I know this, I know this, how do I know this? Cause I've worked on this stuff. Yeah. So yeah, it's a cool thing to look back and, um, and it's a cool thing to connect with people years later that I worked on projects with. And I still am, you know, friends with everyone from, you know, wardrobe to makeup artists and craft services. And like, those were the people, I, you know, I, I did become friends uh, with, you know, certain actors and actresses that I worked with, but um, that, that were more prominent, you know, but it was like all the people behind the scenes were the people that I was kind of with, I think. And so it's cool because like the directors, all those people, like those are the people that end up hiring you for work and you end up like working with people down the road. Um, one of the ladies that was on wardrobe for Pitch Perfect, I had filmed that like the, for the first Pitch Perfect movie. And then like I was working actually out of finally my dream at working at like doing uh, licensing and I was a director of creative licensing for Redshift Entertainment and I still had like my name like with casting directors and they this, this casting director was like Hannah your name and your picture came up in circulation we're filming a music video do you want to be a part of it and it was for Kelly Clarkson um from one of her videos and um like it was so funny because like, like at the time she was pregnant with her first child and um, they, 
she she was really sick the day that we filmed like that that we did the bulk of the filming for her for her music video and she was also supposed to simultaneously um promote a product for a cell phone in the music video Mm. and she was really nauseous and unbeknownst to me like her hands were swollen um which i'm like when do, when do hands look swollen versus not swollen on camera? It's still confusing to me. And the girl though, that was what I had worked with on pitch perfect was the head of wardrobe on her music video. Wow! So like, it was this funny moment of like walking into wardrobe and like, cause I, it was like, they were filming on a weekend. So I took, you always take the extra work when you live in LA. Yeah. And I thought, this is cool. And it's Kelly Clarkson. And like, maybe I'll license some of her music. <laughs> for something yeah um so and it's kelly clarkson she's a fellow texan and she's incredible and wonderful and so i said yes and she was like it was this whole connection and then about an hour after i went to wardrobe the director came in and he was like where's hannah i need hannah and i'm like i'm hannah and he so i was like unless there's another hannah here that i don't know about and he's like Hannah Madison Taylor. And I'm like, that is me. And he's like, I'm the director. And I was like, okay. And he's like, we need your hands. And I thought, what kind of a music video is this? Um, <laughs> right. Oh my gosh, Hannah, we need your hands. And I was like, I <laughs> um, was really concerned. And I looked at him and he said, Kelly is very sick. We'll fill you in. Please sign this NDA. So I go in and she was, she was really sick. And the up close was of her hands for the promo for this, for this phone. Um, It was for Nokia Lumia phone. And so she's sitting there and they said, we need to give you the same manicure. You're the same hand size as Kelly. (laughs) And we're going to put you in the commercial, Hannah. And so it was like this funny, funny thing of, um, you know, getting this opportunity, which then helped me to meet the executives that were on set for Nokia and simultaneously like say like, Hey, actually I'm just doing this as like a fun weekend gig. I'm actually like director of creative licensing and, and like, you know, this is the company we work for. And it opened doors actually for my company, um, for us to do music for some of their commercials. So, wow. All, all the gifts that keep giving from people that you meet, you know, years later, it's an interesting, interesting thing. So and you, another thing on the journey, right. That you might just mention in passing, but it's sort of, uh, it's just kind of such a crazy story. You were Kelly Clarkson's hand double, <laughs> you know, in a, in a commercial. It was her hand double. Yeah. And for the video, any up close of her, she actually, I have to say like, um, she is one of the most, besides incredibly talented, she is one of the kindest, most genuine people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting and working on any production associated with her. She's a gem. She really is. She's like, thank you for being my hand devil. And I was like, not starstruck, but just sort of like Kelly Clarkson is telling me thank you. <laughs> what was the music video that this was associated with? It was for people like us. She did. It was a super cool, really great, great song and super cool um, 
music video and concept. So that's awesome. I'll have to, I'll have to check it out. And but I wouldn't have gotten the opportunity if it hadn't been for the wardrobe lady from Pitch Perfect. So, and then, and then connecting with the phone company, you know, yeah. um, it's, it's not that you were using one connection to try to become a hand double for Kelly Clarkson, your hand double for Kelly Clarkson connection ended up doing the supervision thing. I, yeah for your company I love that I love that and what is it about supervision for you because that's what we keep coming back to uh-huh. um, what is it about that for you that that makes that the thing for you oh gosh I don't know I, I would say it's probably the same reason that you love playing piano and writing and doing what you do like it's just sort of innate um I always I always loved anything that involved like visual media um, of any kind and music. And like, as a child, I would do that with childhood plays. Um, I, my parents have like video of me, like music supervising my bath time. Like, Oh my God. Yes. Oh yes. Spotify. Yeah. (laughs) This was a boom box uh, for all the kids out there that have never seen one of those. And, um, and it was, they had a, a CD of uh, Sesame Street. It was Bert and Ernie. And uh, it was the Rubber Ducky song. And I, like, it had to be repeated for the whole bath. And I would, like, when he would swish in the water, I would swish in the, like, it was a whole thing. Um, and then my neighborhood plays, it was like I carried around the same boom box and nobody could say their lines until like the music was playing or like I would pull out my violin. Like it was, it was <laughs> kind of weird now that I think about it, but it, I always yeah. loved it. Um, I just, I think it's, it's a very powerful thing, you know, like yeah. where there are no, where there's no music words kind of fail in a script, Yeah, you know? And when you are on a set um, watching people, I mean, incredible actors, beautiful script and um but you don't film with music so like it was it's like this whole experience of like where is the music like it feels very very um like walking barefoot on a street on a cold day (laughs) it just should not be well maybe I should ask you this too a very very basic question because a lot of our listeners might not know what exactly is music supervision what does your job entail Oh my gosh, what isn't music supervision is probably how I should answer that. Um, Music supervision. So it's not just creating playlists and putting music on a TV show or in a film or ad. Um, It involves uh, now, and I think for a long time, it involves a lot of post-production aspects. Mm. So um, you're licensing the music, right? You're licensing um, for listeners that don't know that you, there are two sides to the uh to the song right there's the master and then there's the publishing um and sometimes those are not (laughs) mutually exclusive so uh there's a lot of negotiations um that go on um issuing of licenses and contracts um you know in what i do because of my background there's a lot of uh sometimes editing um and there are music supervisors that uh, are, you know, audio or post-production engineers. Um, and so then sometimes you're actually working on those scenes and then just popping them over to that, 
you know, editors um, who obviously make the final revisions. Um, but yeah, so you, you often work with both video as well as tracks. There's sometimes like editing of tracks, you know, wow. it depends on the project. Sometimes you have like this amazing budget. Um, but you know, with, with my background also in audio engineering and post-production, it's, you know, editing of those tracks, the stems and like getting it to lay just so, and so there's a lot, there's a lot involved in that. Um, sometimes music supervisors are called in for sound design and for consultation on that. Um, you hire composers, you hire musicians, you like, it can entail a lot of things. I think like what music supervisors don't do, like total final edits and directing. <laughs> so yeah, you're involved in so many things. And is there ever a time too, because you have such a, a broad background, is there ever a time when they're like, okay, that song doesn't work, that song doesn't work. Look, we just need 20 seconds of this sort of thing. You're like, okay, I got it. And you compose it really quick and stick it in. Um. There have been a few instances of that. Um, you know, it, it depends on the project, but uh, yeah, you know, source source music is kind of a tricky, tricky thing. Usually, I have to say, like most people, kind of have an idea. Like directors, um, showrunners, they have a pretty good idea of what they want musically you know? Um, and if you're working for an ad, I mean, that's a very specific thing. And for those I have, I've definitely like sat before with the team, um, where we got a brief and we didn't have it in our catalog. When I was working at Redshift, we didn't have exactly what they were looking for. And my boss went in and did, um, this incredible, they wanted a fits in the tantrums sound alike for a theme song. Yeah. Um, and it was from VH1. And so he, he's, he was, you know, he is brilliant and um, brilliant musician, brilliant business guy walks in and creates like takes two hours to create this track. And I mean, it's got horns, it's got everything. Cause he's just like super fast. Yeah. And then he's like, can you just come like sing something on it? And like, you'll get paid to do this. And I was like, you're already paying me at my job. Yeah. <laughs> well, whatever. Maybe I'll get like royalties. Yeah. Um, so we do like we do. Cause I gotten a call from, from someone at VH1 and they'd sent us a brief. I do like a bunch of like sequential, like, yeah, yeah, yes. Cause that's this, that's what it, it needed to be chanty. It needs to be very upbeat fits in the tantrums. And, and it was for Nicole Richie. It was for her show, Candidly Nicole. And um, my boss is like, well, don't get, your, don't get your hopes up. I think this is incredible, but you know, like, and I was like, we've, we've nailed this because we were watching it and I was actually singing it while like watching picture because we yeah. wanted to really capture the emotion and her movements on camera. And like, we got it. Um, so it's like, we got the theme song. And so yeah, there's, there are times when I think depending on your time frame on a project, if you can do that, that's a huge, huge asset. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So to delve into a few of these specific things that you do um, yeah. in your job, how do you go about hiring a composer? What is that process like? Um, you know, I mean, sometimes it's the director that hires a composer, but um, that is certainly a service that 
I've had to give multiple times and um, it's, it, you, it's really who, you know, you know, it's the vision. Like it, a lot of times composers come in post-production. Um, so after everything is filmed and you know that cause you're a composer. So it's, you're asked to, to, they're asked to create something, but um, for me, if I'm hiring the composer and that's a service that they want, then, um, you know, it's watching, it's usually watching footage. Uh, they're, they're giving you examples or they're giving you like a script and all this stuff. Like, you know, this is what we're looking for. And it's usually like pulling, you know, resources, just like if you, if somebody said, Hey, Andy, do you know, a bass player that could play with me for this? And this is the style and the vibe. And also could they please have this kind of haircut? <laughs> so, sure. Sure. yeah. And so that's, it's kind of a similar, similar way that, that you find a composer. And sometimes it's, you know, um, not just one composer, you know, sometimes it's like a, I'm now working on something where they, needed a composer and they're like actually though we also want like a music team and actually can you please just like put it all together <laughs> yeah and and by the way this you know series is taking place over um four decades so um it's just it's like a really kind of cool kind of cool thing so sure. yeah um, and <laughs> And now what about the licensing process? I know, you know, it's, it's a scene with daisies. And so they want something in the style of wildflowers by Tom Petty. And so you go out and, and find that. Um, yeah. How much of it is based on the song fitting perfectly and how much, like how much of a hassle are you willing to deal with if the song fits perfectly, if there's like, four publishing companies involved in a million songwriters. What is, what is that process like? Is there a point where you're like, this is too complicated. I'm going to go get this one that maybe doesn't fit as well, but um, still works for the scene. Gosh, well, um, really good questions, Andy. Um, it, it, it depends on what, first of all, I mean, it depends on your budget. Yeah. Right. Um, like if a director's like, we want Tom Petty or we want Tom Petty sound like there's a significant budget difference there. Um, then yeah, if you're, if you're finding like a catalog and there happen to be like four writers on it or four publishing companies and, um, it, there's not a, a, one easy answer for that, I guess, because it, it, it's really a music supervisor, like is a part of your post-production team, right? And so my job is to make, is to be a part of the team, just like the cinematographer or lighting or editors. My job is to help this to be one seamless, incredible project, whatever that may be. Yeah. So there's never a point where I'm going to tell the director, like, I'm not going to go through the pains of getting this licensed if this is what you want. Right. Um that being said, there are instances where I've had to license things. And like I, I had a project several years ago that I worked on for a, like a web series and the director wanted this song. It was a particular song by this artist in New Orleans. And, and it was an amazing song. 
And the fourth writer, the artist, and uh, he was, the artist was also one of the four writers. He had lost touch and they'd had a falling out. And it was like falling out. Okay, well, I don't care. <laughs> like, yeah. Get me his information. Well, it turns out he didn't have his current like cell phone. He didn't know where he was living. He'd moved out of state. Um, and, you know, like this whole thing. So like another job of a music supervisor is sometimes like being a researching agent, yeah. you know, um, and like you're finding people um, and chasing down people in a non-stalkery way. Yeah. Um, and I, and I remember like telling the director, like, it's going to take me a few days, I think, to like lock this down, like here are your other options. So I'd say that you always have to have other options. You always have to have different options because sometimes people say no. And in this instance, I, I'm really good at finding people like <laughs> in another life, I might've like had a career in just doing that. Being yeah. like, I am an FBI agent. Um, <laughs> or not that would have been but, good a bounty hunter or something right a bounty hunter but without the aggression just like we're tracking you down you didn't pay your phone bill yeah. um I, I found the guy and he was living in a town of like 500 people in Oklahoma and um I get his phone number and I call and I leave a message and then like immediately he calls back because I guess he was like screening calls and I tell him what I'm working on. And he's like, oh, that's super cool. I want $5,000. And I said, oh, okay. And I hear what you're saying, um, but the, that's not the budget. This is what the all-in budget is. Here's what everyone else is getting paid. And he said, okay, well, then I'm not doing it. And like with some very colorful language oh <laughs> and, and I remember thinking like okay I have my other options you know like in negotiations they teach you like what is your best batna your best alternative to negotiation and agreement and I thought I have something in my back pocket the director's not going to be thrilled about it and I remember saying like well I hear you I respect what you're what you say I'm so sorry that uh, we're not able to feature this song. If things change, please let me know. And it was like, I mean, I was ready to like walk on the deal. And like, he goes, he calls me back like 30 minutes later, I've changed my mind. <laughs> and by the way, he only had like 2% of the song, but you cannot license a song without 100% being cleared. He only so, had 2% of it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, good. It was like a session where he had, he had sat in and he like gave them half of a line, which is your copyright. That is your um, contribution to this. And he had 2%. And I was like, I'm going to lose this negotiation over 2% from some guy that lives in a town of 500 people that doesn't even understand like what he's asking for. You will never get unless you write on like, I don't know a Tom Petty song, then I will give you $5,000. <laughs> but, uh, so yeah, like he was trying to negotiate. It sounds like he, he was trying to see what you were made of and you probably did the best possible thing by saying, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. And in a way that I kind of knew, like, sometimes I think if you 
cleverly say stuff like that. If people know that you're willing to walk, but you like, it's like, I respect what you, you're saying and I hear you. And I'm so sorry that I can't meet your, your terms. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I always say like, you know, zero dollars of, uh, you know, a hundred percent, but zero dollars is still zero dollars in your bank account. You do, you, you have nothing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but the, yeah, that, that's sometimes, uh, an issue, but a lot of times, um, now you'll hear people and you know, this people will say, is this like a one-stop shop, which is like, if there are other writers, I need an agreement between all of you and, or their representation that says, this is an easy clear for me. Right. So I'm not having to, while I do have to get you all to sign off on this, I'm not going to go through the rigors of like tracking down somebody with 2% of the, of the copyright. So, yeah. Yeah. Sounds like it's, I was going to ask you what currently, you know, in 2021, what a day in the life is like for you, but it's probably just totally different every day. It is, it is. Well, right now I, um, I had worked on something in 2020 that was a documentary. And then, um, so I came in post-production to that mm-hmm. and that was super weird. Um, <laughs> because there were, it was like, there were things filmed like in Europe, for instance, where like the Macarena is in a scene and, um, like, I can't, it's this, you know, part of the documentary that they absolutely need. And it's like, well, I don't know what to tell you if we can't get the Macarena. <laughs> so there's like a lot of stuff like that. And now in 2021, um, I'm working on a few projects and one of them um, is a is a series and it's filming in the UK. So that's very interesting. <laughs> because, yeah. you know, everything is like this. We're on Zoom and we're on business calls. And um, but the good thing is that like what hasn't changed for me um, in terms of like post-production or even like licensing is that like, I mean, I can send a license to you no matter where you live, yeah. you know? So, so I think that hasn't changed for me. What has changed for anyone that I think is in film and TV production or supervision is that stuff is getting like put on hold or you start filming and then they have to stop because of, you know, issues with COVID. Yeah. Um, and it's a, uh, it's a real brain bender <laughs> to try to figure out sometimes how to do that. Uh, so they do a lot of like, my job I think is entailing more and more like more than it already did project management and sort of like, just, you have to be on top of the schedule. And I, my schedule's like a little upside down. That's what's upside down right now for me <laughs> is that yeah. I'm on like UK time but I'm in the United States and that's a very strange thing. So, so weird meeting times. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, can we meet this time? They're so lovely that you don't say no. It's like, I'm going to say yes to anything that you ask me almost because you have a very charming accent. Yes. 4am is just fine. 4am is great. Please. I would love to negotiate. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Uh, well, thank you yeah. so much for taking the time and, and letting us in on your life and your profession. And I'm, I'm sure there's so much more we could talk about um, off the top of your head. Did, did we leave anything out? 
do you, do you have, what, gosh, do you have copyright questions? Do you have audio engineering questions? Do you have, I don't know. Well, so <laughs> I, 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 I was, you know, we could do this for three hours. We could just, keep, we could. we're going to have to do a part two. We're going to have to we'll do a part, do a two, part two. We'll do part two. This has been lovely, Andy. Yes. Thank you. And if you wouldn't mind, stay on the line with me for a, a quick second, but I'll, um, I'll go ahead and press the stop record button. Absolutely. Thanks. <laughs> and then we talked for like another 30 minutes because, um, because Hannah's such a cool person and we, we could just talk for a long, long time. But anyway, there you have it. Thanks Hannah so much for coming on. I appreciate your friendship. I appreciate your time and look forward to having you on again. So if you have any questions off the top of your head after hearing that, like, Hey, I'd like to ask this, let me know. I'll start the list now. And who knows, maybe next time we do it, we'll do it on a, you know, I don't know. We'll live stream it or something. I don't know. Anyway. Um, Thanks so much for listening. If uh, you would like to help out the podcast at all in a totally free way, please rate and review. It really helps out a lot wherever you're listening to your podcast, especially if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. That's kind of a it's a big one. It's a biggie for podcasts. It helps to get those ratings and reviews. Just takes a couple seconds. If you are in a position to help out in a monetary way, please consider doing so at patreon.com slash Andy Sido, S-Y-D-O-W. Um, I put up exclusive content um, with my artist career there and podcast stuff as well, and it helps me keep it all going. Um, so you can you can uh, join Patreon for as little as $3 a month, less than the price of a cup of coffee. Um, and I would appreciate that so much as well. But anyhow, uh, questions, comments, concerns, hate mail, death threats, uh, ideas for guests, you can shoot me an email at middleclassrockstar at gmail.com. All right. Have a good one, and I can't wait to talk to you next week. <laughs>